0: The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Download Podcast. This week, we are joined with a guest. Her name is Dr. Portia, and she is an oral and maxillofacial surgeon at a practice called About Face. I'm definitely looking forward to sharing her story with you all through the rest of this episode, but before we get into that, I did just want to do a quick recap, as usual, about what's going on in my life in dental school. If you're new here, my name is Haley, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a second-year dental student now at University of Michigan School of Dentistry and lately we've just kind of been settling in about halfway through now our summer term so we started at the beginning of May so some of our classes run through half the semester and then we're starting a new set of classes so we've been having some finals for those classes that are finishing up And then in the coming weeks, we're going to start some different systems classes as well as starting up biomaterials again. I think I mentioned in an intro that I did pretty poorly on our respiratory system class for the first exam, but I did really well and got an A, a high A on our final and was able to bring my grade up a whole letter. So that was very exciting and it was nice to see that hard work kind of pay off. I did some assisting this past week and I also had our perio boot camp And after that, we're officially allowed to be doing cleanings on patients given the really tight clinic capacity right now and patients are booking out like weeks in advance which is maybe normal for private practice but for the dental school clinic usually you can get an appointment the next week but now it's like three or four weeks in advance because they're renovating our dental school so two of our four clinics are closed but really that means that we are not going to be doing cleanings on patients this summer semester like we usually would hopefully in the fall but most likely in the winter of our d2 year and hopefully we'll actually get to start doing some other procedures on patients by then as well but we are approved to be doing comprehensive exams for new patient exams or for recall exams as well as cleaning. So that's really exciting. And the last thing I want to mention that happened this past week is an external rotation for my mini rotations class that I'm in through the Selectives Pathway as part of the Pathways program at my school. Kind of a mouthful, but basically we would usually be doing rotations through the specialty clinics at my dental school, but because of covid The clinics, the specialty clinics, weren't really keen on having extra students in there on top of the D3s and D4s doing their rotations and managing their actual residents and making sure that they're having a good clinical experience, so they designed some external rotations for us outside of the dental school. One is going to be at a lab, like a prosthetics lab, where they make dentures, bridges, and crowns, and then the one that I did last week was a four-handed dentistry lab, so we did a lecture about assisting, we learned about some good stretches to do to help with your posture and your strengthening and stretching, of course. And once the lecture was done, we got to go into their simulation clinics and work on their little type it on heads and do a restoration, a prep and restoration. And the main point was 4 dentistry was the theme of this external rotation as well as focusing on ergonomics a lot. So we learned a lot about assisting, what to look for an assistant, what an assistant is able to do state by state. Specifically, we focused on our state of Michigan, of course, but it was a really, really awesome experience. And I'm really it was just great to be back in a classroom setting and back being lectured to in person and I really hope that we'll go back to in-person lectures starting in the fall but we don't have word on that yet. I will definitely be updating you all in future intros as I know more about our upcoming schedules for the fall semester but with all of that being said let's get into the bulk of this episode our discussion with Dr. Portia about her experience in oral surgery and her advice to our listeners. All right. Hi, everyone. So we do have another guest here today, and I'm just going to let them introduce themselves a little bit. Hi, everyone. I am
1: uh, Dr. Portia James. I'm an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. I'm I'm based in Frisco, Texas, uh, which is north, uh, a suburb north of Dallas. Um, I practice full scope um, oral and maxillofacial surgery. Um, My office is about face, oral and facial surgery. Um, and, you know, like I said, that's our private practice. Um, we do full scope, you know, oral surgery, wisdom teeth extractions, um, dental implants, you know, full mouth uh, reconstructions, um, trauma, pathology, sedations. We do a lot. <laughs> we do a lot um, at our office. Um, but a little bit about me um, I graduated. Uh, from undergrad at Xavier University of Louisiana, which is in New Orleans. I then went on uh, to dental school at Meharry Medical College in Nashville. Uh, my path to OMFS was a little bit different. Um, after I graduated from dental school, I went on um, into the military, went to the Air Force um, Dental Corps. So I was a captain in the Air Force um, as a general dentist at the time. I did an AEGD. Um, while I was in the Air Force, I was stationed, I did my AGD at Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi. Uh, I went on for two years. I went overseas um, to the UK. Um, I was at RAF uh, Lake and Heath, UK. That's where, you know, I did a little, I had a, I had a, a different kind of situation there. So if you don't know anything about the military, Um, you're stationed at certain bases. You don't really get to decide where you're going to go. So I was, I was stationed there, um, in that particular base, they were generally slated for two oral surgeons there. However, at the time, um, there was a shortage of oral surgeons. So they only had one, um, that was there. So they knew that I had an interest in oral surgery. Um, so I was actually able to kind of adjust my schedule to where, you know, two days out of the week, I would do just strictly oral surgery procedures. And I was actually able to go to the operating room. On Mondays, we would go to the operating room um, with the oral surgeon that was there. So I learned how to do um, orthognathic procedures, orthogn- orthognathic surgeries there, um, and trauma and things like that, which is a, a pretty unique experience uh, for a general dentist, especially a general dentist that, um, you know, had not done even an oral surgery fellowship prior to. So that kind of afforded me a lot, the opportunity for a lot of things, um, first of all, experience. And then I think you know that was pretty much a, a great um, aspect about my resume or my CV um, that allowed me to go or to, to gain acceptance into oral and maxillofacial surgery residency. So after that, um, after I left England, I was stationed stateside back in South Carolina. I was at Sumter Air Force Base, and that's when I applied for oral surgery residency. Um, I got accepted um, into, I went back to Meharry Medical College for my residency, Um, and so I I finished residency in 2016, and I stayed on for a year, and I taught the residents and the dental students um, as an attending before we decided to move back to Texas, which is where I'm from. I'm from Dallas, so... Um, we moved back to Dallas in 2017. Um, I don't, I typically don't do things ideally. So when we moved, um, uh, I was about four or five months pregnant. I think I was five months pregnant actually when we moved here because the the whole point of moving here was to start a private practice. So five months pregnant um, renovated the place for where our practice is going to be um, when we opened the practice or when we finally opened the doors. I just had my baby. My baby was five weeks old um, when I started interviewing for dental assistants and our office staff. So um, I don't know if that makes me crazy or courageous, but <laughs> we made it happen thanks to, you know, to help a family um, and my husband. So uh, yeah, so I, I, I've worked corporate, I've worked the corporate sector, you know, part time, even during my startup phase. And when I was at Meharia, I worked corporate part time as well. Um, so I could tell you about private practice, I can tell you about the corporate side, I can tell you about military. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit about me in a nutshell.
0: Awesome. I do have some follow up questions, I guess, starting with your Air Force experience. Uh-huh. So were you enlisting in the Air Force as a part of the scholarship program? Is that your involvement? Kind of, sort of.
1: So I actually did ROTC in undergrad. So um, at the time, when I did my ROTC, I was actually supposed to go ahead and get commissioned before I went to dental school, but I had gotten accepted um, into dental school. So for me, I ended up doing what's called an educational delay um, so that I can go to dental school and then serve my active duty time. So no, I actually didn't get do the HBSP program um, that you're referring to, because they had paid for my undergrad. Um, if I would have accepted, you know, HPSP, in addition to um, the previous um, payment for my scholarship for ROTC, I would have owed them eight years. Um, so I'd already owed them four from undergrad. And so at the time, because I didn't really know, you know, what the future would have held for me, um, I just decided against the HPSP. Um, but that is a great program um, to utilize because you get a stipend, you get your tuition paid. Um, basically, what it is, is like it, it, it's basically you if they do so many years of the scholarship for you, you owe that plus an additional year. So if you, if I could have done it the other way around to just do dental school, that would have been more ideal because your dental school tuition is made way more significant than undergrad, at least for me anyway, because I did two private schools. Um, so I think, you know, doing HBSP is, is, is a great thing to do for those that are interested in doing that.
0: So I guess looking back to even when you were picking an undergrad at that point, did you know you wanted to go to dental school or no? No. Okay. Um,
1: so, when I, so my high school, we'll go back to high school. I went to in Dallas, I went to the high school for health professions. I knew I wanted to do something in medical. I wasn't sure. Actually, the majority of my life, um, I actually thought I was going to be an OBGYN because, you know, I, I always love babies and things like that. Like, oh, they're so cute. Um, but The one thing I would say about my high school is that I was able to, you know, work in a gynecology clinic um, during my senior year um, as an intern. And so, you know, I was actually able to go in there with them and do pap smears and and take vitals and things like that. And so I'm like, man, women have a lot of issues. I don't know if I I thought it was just about babies, but, you know, (laughs) being in the gynecology side of things you see like vaginal abscesses and stuff like that. And for me, you know, in my 17 year old mind, I'm like, ew, that is gross. I couldn't imagine myself doing that. Now I'm popping abscesses in the mouth, but that's how I was, you know, at that time. So that kind of deterred me from wanting to do that. But I knew I still wanted to do something um, in healthcare, went to Xavier, which is number one in place in African-Americans into medical school. So um, I felt like, you know, that was the situation that would, best suit me. Um, and especially they would expose me to different fields. So I was able to volunteer in hospitals. Um, I shadow, I was able, actually able to shadow some dentists at the time. That's what, you know, I was talking to my counselor. She was like, well, why don't, have you ever thought about dental school? I'm like, no, not really. Um, so she's like, well, why don't you shadow a dentist? Um, I think one summer when I was home, I was able to shadow a doctor um, name was Dr. Diane Earl. She's in, uh, she was at, uh, Monarch at the time. I think she was like one of the first Monarch, Monarch offices in Dallas, um, at the time. So I was able to shadow her. I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. Um, and, you know, just talking to different dentists, just learning about, you know, what they do and, you know, their work-life balance. And that seemed like something that I was interested in. So, you know, I was I, in my head, I said, okay, I'm going to apply to dental school. I'm going to apply to dental school. And then I was able to join um, MAPS. Um, gosh, I've forgotten what MAPS stands for. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's like a, a minority, something to help. I, I can't remember what it stands for anymore. But um, I remember that being the acronym for the, for the group. Um, and I was able to shadow an oral surgeon in New Orleans. And so I was like, man, this is really cool what he's doing. So I said, man, if I do go to dental school, if I get in, I think I'm going to be an oral surgeon. So, you know, this is what you're saying in your head. I'm just kind of going back, you know, to that time um, and then going to dental school and finishing dental school up. And you're just like, man, this is really cool what they do. But by the time that you become like a senior, you're like, man, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of burned out. I don't think I even want to continue on. (laughs) I don't want to continue on with this. I think I'm just going to be a general dentist and call it a day. Um, But it's kind of crazy, you know, how things change in your life. Um, So when I was able to, to become, when I became active duty and my life was so much different and I was able to kind of see things a little bit differently, I was like, you know what? And being able to, it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're kind of placed in various situations and you're placed in different things. I would have never known that I would have gone overseas and been able to go to the operating room and, you know, being able to do straight oral surgery. I knew I had an interest in it, but I never thought I would actually apply to the residency. So, you know, being placed there, I think that that kind of allowed me that opportunity to really see my purpose in life and what I'm really supposed to be doing. So looking back in retrospect, uh, I guess I was always meant to do this. <laughs> so so yeah. here I am
0: today. That's cool how everything does kind of slowly start to piece together when you look mm-hmm. back. You're like, oh, that put that thought in my mind the first time. It must have been like my initial interest or something. It's all very interesting. Yeah. So a couple more questions about your experience with the Air Force. Would maybe could you give us like your favorite thing about the experience and maybe something that you disliked about the experience?
1: Um, I, I definitely loved being able to do things that I probably would not have been able to do on my own. Um, that's the thing about being in the military. They kind of have their own rules about certain things. Like even, you know, like they, they have profitex there, like even the text are able to do like trophies. And, you know, these are like their assistants because they have so many um, so many active duty members that we have to service and make sure that they're deployable. So you, it's not that many hygienists that are there. So they're able to do different things. But, you know, because like I said, I was able to go to the operating room. Like who, what, did, what dentist that you know anywhere is able to go to the operating room and work on a mandible fracture or do an orthodontic case. That's kind that of unheard of. So... You know, it it really, it really opened a lot of doors for me. Um, And plus, you know, also having the scholarships, um, you know, that was advantageous as far as, you know, lowering my student loan debt. Um, So those are definitely pluses for me. Um, I would say a con is, you know, not being able to have control over, you know, where you live. So, you know, that can be a pro and or a con based, based on, you know, your personality. Some people like to travel and go different places. Um, but I, I personally, I would rather be in one place, in one place. So um, to me, that is a con.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's definitely good things for people to consider if they're thinking mm-hmm. about getting right. Some people yeah. like to, some people like living different places. I would have never been able to live
1: overseas, you know, anywhere mm-hmm. else. Um, so, you know, being, being stationed there, it's even cheaper to travel. So I did a lot of traveling there. I was single at the time. So, you know, I've been to, I went to Paris twice, went to Morocco, I've been in Edinburgh, I've been so many different places um, because you're in Europe. So it's just easier to travel and plus it's, it's um, more inexpensive as well.
0: Yeah, those are definitely really cool things to consider and great life experiences for sure. Yes. And, now, and now you're all settled down, so you can look back with fond memories. Mm-hmm. So for your OMA Fest residency, you chose to go to residency at Mayhara you mentioned, mm-hmm. and not do one of the military mm-hmm. residencies. Can you talk a little bit about being a competitive applicant for residency? We got some questions from listeners yeah, about so, that.
1: Yeah, so things have changed since I did my residency. I was probably one of the last classes um, that had score. I mean, we had scores for our boards, our part one and part two. Um, so we had scores for boards. I didn't have to take the CVSC exam, which is the medical exam that you have to take now. So now things have changed. You have to have a really good CBSC uh, score. Um, it used to be like when, when they first start doing that exam, like in the 70s, but now um, it's highly encouraging. This is what I hear from program directors. Um, they want you to have like in the 80s a score like that because so many dental schools, like I said, not only are they not um, doing, they not, they're not doing uh, board scores anymore. It's just pass fail. But some people aren't even ranking students anymore. So, you know, that that kind of it's kind of hard to determine to to determine who will be able to handle OMFS. It's a very different ballgame. It's like because I was a general dentist before. It's nothing like general dentistry is you just throw all almost like almost all of that out the window. um, Besides, you know, extractions um, and and implants, everything else is is maxillofacial. You know, it's, 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 um, you know, we do internal medicine, we do anesthesia, um, we have to rotate in ICU. Um, And then, like I said, the different things that we do, trauma, orthognathics, cosmetics. So it's just so many different things that are involved. Um, And then now there's a, you can do either a four-year or a six-year program. The six-year program is also obtaining your medical degree. So um, that you do you do two years of medical school. So that test is basically designed to to basically say that okay, I have a little bit of knowledge about the medical side of things. Um, I, I know how you know the body operates. So now that I go into oral surgery, you know, on residency, I can kind of focus, you know, I'm on on OMFS, You know, I'm not gonna be an intern thrown into internal medicine and not know what the heck is going on. And so that's what you don't want. <laughs> so um, it, it's, it's kind of like a weeding
0: out, to be honest. So um, I guess one more question about your residency. So you mentioned now there's four and six year programs. How long was your program?
1: Yes, I did. I did a four year program. Okay. So I actually only applied to four year programs. I did not even apply to any six year programs. Um, let's say, I think probably if I would have done residency straight out of school, maybe I would have applied for a six year program. But when I went back to residency, I was 30. So, you know, you, when you get a little bit older, you're like, okay, man, when am I going to have kids? When am I going to do this? Not saying it can't be done. Um, but you know, your perspectives about life are a little bit different. I know for me, you know, I'm thinking in my head, oh, shoot when I, when I graduate from residency, I'm going to be 34. What am I going to do? (laughs) Like my clock is ticking. So that was just for me. Um, And I think, you know, as a woman, it becomes a little bit um, different because especially when you're a female surgeon, your wife, your mother, you have other things to consider and to think about, Um, as opposed to our male colleagues, you know, they can do whatever all day, but Even for me, when I go home or when I'm with my daughter, she's going to want to be with her mama. (laughs) So for the most part. So, you know, those are things that you have to think about um, when you are thinking about residencies and what are you going to do. But um, regardless, I think it becomes, you know, you have to think about what type of support system that you have. That is so important having a great support system, even in residency. I mean, some women do have babies, especially I know a lot of OBGYN colleagues that have had kids in residency. um, But it's always down to support and who's if you're on call, or something like that, you know, because you're going to get called at two or three o'clock in the morning, you can't just leave your baby there. (laughs) So you have to figure out you know what you're gonna do or if you're gonna have someone come stay with you or something during that time frame especially if you're single I couldn't even imagine it I couldn't even imagine being a single mom in residency because it's so hard in its in itself. Um so you know you just have to think about those little things that aren't really not so little stuff <laughs> so, but they're really big things and then someone that you can trust, you know, with your kids you can't just leave your kids with anybody. So um, those are all things uh, to consider um, with your residency. But a lot of people ask, well, what's the difference between a four year and a six year program? Um, so four year versus six year, as far as the scope of what you do is the same. Now, with that being said, like I said, the six year program, you get your medical degree with that. Now, where that becomes advantageous is depending on what you want to do afterwards. Some people want to do a fellowship. Like, let's say they want to do a head and neck fellowship um, where they're head and neck surgeon afterwards. You know, they might have to do an additional two or three years for their fellowship. So credentialing wise uh, for hospital privileges and for what they're able to get your privileges for, having that MD is is an advantage because it's easier to get your privileges hospital wise um, for those things. Yeah. Or some people I know have gone on even to full body cosmetics, um, because you have to, you have to have your medical degree because that's going to, some certain procedures, um, are going to go under your medical license. So let's say, you know, if they decide they want to go and do full body cosmetics and are doing like breast implants or Brazilian butt lifts or whatever the new, um, cosmetics procedure that is out there, they're, they're doing those things. Um, and they're being trained um, for those procedures and credentialed um, appropriately for those.
0: That's very interesting. I didn't even think about oral surgeons leaving the oral oh, yeah. facial area.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, yeah. It's, not, it's not uncommon, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Um, so they've had to change up some, some things the way that, that we we're trained because I was told that people that trained prior to me, like, let's say after they did, some people were doing like getting their medical degree because they would do MD first, like right after um, dental school and they would do their two years first and quit oral surgery residency. So they don't do the oral surgery and go on to do something else. So they had to change, (laughs) change how, how we are trained. Um, so they might not get that that MD or you can't um, do anything with it. I don't know how they do it necessarily, but um, they definitely made some changes for that because I have heard a lot of stories about those types of things happening.
0: That's very interesting. So mm-hmm. something you were touching on before, I also wanted to ask about, I know that OMFS is like a predominantly white male field, even though it's progressively getting slowly better, but do you have any advice for someone that's that maybe is making them skeptical or afraid to go into the field?
1: Um, I think, you know, one thing is, is you have to have very thick skin, um, you know, with this field period, Um, you have to know that you're going to have to read a lot, Um, you're not going to get much rest, really. (laughs) Um, So, but one thing that I will say is that knowledge can never be taken away from you. Um, so if you prove yourself and if you read and you know, your, your, your answers, one thing about OMFS residency is that, I don't know if you've ever heard the term of pimping. (laughs) So we, they say, we say this, I think it's any surgical residency, to be honest. Um, so pimping is a term where when you're on rounds or when you're rounding with patients, meaning like you're, you're seeing all of your different patients that you have, um, you know, that might be in house for the hospital. there, They're still in the hospital on your service, um, or they might be scheduled for surgery today, or, you know, they're postdoc from surgery or something like that. But anyway, we round on patients in the morning. So it's very early. And so that's when you walk around with your attendees and you go to each of your different rooms. You might talk about the patient, especially if you're the intern. It's like the lowest, this, lowest, lowest to the highest, the intern to the chief, uh, depending on your team. So. You, you go around and you're, you're attending um, or even your chief resident might pimp you, meaning ask you various questions related to your patient or what you're doing um, or, you know, their labs or whatever is going on with them. Or sometimes it might not even be, it might be random stuff that they might come up with. Um, so, you know, you then the reason why I say that is if you read about your patient, the thing that I would say, know your patient know what they're there for, know what they're getting done, know the procedure that you, you, you are doing or planning on doing. Um, Just read about that because you, if they ask you these questions that are related to what you're doing, you can't say you want to go cut a case and you know nothing about it. So um, essentially, you know, that's what you have to do. You have to read a lot and know about the procedure, know about the procedure, know about your patient, know about any kind of medical conditions that are related to your patient, know about possible outcomes that can happen surgically or any pop or anesthesia wise. Um, So reading is what I would say to, to definitely be good at um, because like I said, at the end of the day, they can't take your knowledge from you. They can say whatever they want to say about you. You got to remember that as a female, the goal, especially from your male counterparts is going to be to try to make you cry. Unfortunately, that, I've heard that several times, um, but you have to have very thick skin. You have to be very confident in what you're doing. And you got to realize that the reason why you got there, you're there for a reason. I Honestly, your grades or your scores were probably higher than theirs to begin with. So so that's those are things that you have to think about and you just realize that you have to be better.
0: Oh, that's great. So I guess moving on to kind of where you are now in your life. So you're obviously working at your private practice that you mentioned. And I know you also have like a scrub brand that you're working mm-hmm. on and you are on social media and everything and you have your family. <laughs> so how do you attempt to maintain a balance? How is your week split up and everything? How are you managing it all?
1: Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, let me think. I mean, you, I think that having help helps a lot. Um, my husband helps a whole bunch. We work together. So that's in its own is something that's very different from others. Um, you know, starting a practice, I knew nothing about business. Okay. I'm just going to be on, you don't learn that in dental school. You're in school now. You don't learn that. Um, but, you know, for, you know, my husband, he has a business background. He's a business major, business and marketing major. That's what he, he knew. That's what he does. He has businesses. So it only made sense for us to partner together uh, for him to handle the administrative side of things and me to handle the clinical side of things. So that helps significantly. Whereas, you know, some people, they go in, into, into these businesses knowing that they've never owned a business or know nothing about it. And they're going to struggle or they're going to fail because they don't know anything and nor they're trying to learn anything. So it's it's great to be able to have someone that you can trust um, that knows the, the financial aspect of things. Um, and most importantly, not going to embezzle you because a lot of doctors, my husband always says is that we become lazy. Um, we just want to show up, go to you know, do whatever we have to do and leave, but in business, you really can't do that. You have to stay up on your finances and you have to have a team first of all. So you know, my team is, of course, you know, my husband, my family, um, but also, you know, you have to have an accountant or attorneys, and all of these things. um so to to help you with that balance. And I think one thing about it is for me is to learn how to let things go or, you know, try not to have too much on your plate or, you know, try not to be too cheap about certain things. Sometimes you have to pay someone to do something that you just don't have the time to do anymore. So that becomes a, um, a problem. So as far as, you know, my scrubs um, are concerned, I devote, devote certain days for that. For example, I'm off on Tuesdays. So I try to do things like what I'm doing with you <laughs> on Tuesdays or try to make, you know, doctor's appointments um, on Tuesdays or, you know, just different little things or try to catch up, um, on these days, especially because we have a new practice. Um, we're not like super majorly busy where we can't get patients in the door or because we're, or we're having them back like three months out. So we're able to kind of balance that through, you know, through the other days. So that helps quite a bit to have that admin day to kind of circle back and, re, and regroup and or catch up.
0: And are you the only surgeon at your practice right now? Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay.
0: Do you plan to stay that way or is there? I don't know. So,
1: So I, I, I always, um, planned on expanding. I really, really want to, I don't know when that will be. Um, and honestly, I have a great interest in cosmetics. So I love doing the cosmetic aspect of things. Um, in my mind, when I opened up the practice, it's called about face. The reason why it's called about face is number one, I was a prior military, military veteran. So about face is a term that we use to turn around. That's just, that's simply what it means. So my thoughts on our practice is that we're transforming lives. We're transitioning things. We're turning things around. So that's why we're called about face, um, in my mind, in the future, I would like to have an associate that's doing more of the oral surgery procedures. And I'm focusing more on the facial um, cosmetic procedures. So that's definitely what I would like to do in our future. So expanding, definitely, I just don't know when, but that's, that's in the back of my head.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's super exciting. And it's great. You do, I think when you're starting a practice, you need to have the vision, the goals, but also like you said, being realistic and understanding because you've been open for a few years now. And like you said, you're, you're growing over time. You're still in your practice. So it's good to be aware, but also ambitious. So that's awesome. Uh, Someone did ask a couple more questions about your practice. They were wondering how you develop like a strong team with your other employees. What are some things that you do to make things run efficiently? Um, systems. <laughs> systems in place. I think that's the one thing that I did learn. Cause
1: I said, I, I previously worked with corporate. So those are, one, those are things that I, I did learn, um, having, you know, your documentations in place. Um, we take pictures of our setups, um, just pictures and, um, you know, you write down list of, um, of, of, I'm trying to get my list of, outlines of activities or, or their job descriptions or things like that. Um, so that helps a lot. So let's say if you do get a new assistant or something, they're not trying to figure out what they need for, you know, your implant setup, because it's all in a binder. It all has a picture laid out right there of exactly how it should be set up and what you need and what I want, you know, for my setup, because every doctor is different. So that helps a lot with transitioning and, and keeping um, your staff aware of what's going on.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I assumed it was something like that. I've heard from the most successful practices. They have a very clear way that they like things done. And they have, mm-hmm. like you said, those binders, those almost like manuals that mm-hmm. make sure everyone's on the same page. So that's awesome. Yep. hmm that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about today. I know we covered a lot, but do you have any closing thoughts or final advice you want to give out to dental students listening? Um, okay. Um, I would say that whatever you want to do, even if it's not
1: OMFS, just think that you can do it. Figure out what you need to do um, to apply for that position. Um, have confidence in yourself, you know, have tr- and, and have, re- have, have realistic expectations or goals about what you want to accomplish as well. If you know you don't want to work hard, don't apply to, to oral surgery <laughs> um, because we work hard and we don't get a whole bunch of sleep. But it's—I think—at the end of the day, it's well worth it. Um, it's a very lucrative field, and I think that you know, our—we our, have so many different things that we do. You're never going to get bored um, in this field. So you can do it. Just decide, you know, get a mentor, um, you know, talk to. Oh, one thing I will say as far as uh, the students that are interested in applying, do as many externships as you can, especially if you want to apply straight out after school. Um, You can go to Adia. I think I I think Adia has different um, residencies in the different specialties. And this can go to any specialty. Do externships. And then that way you can kind of get an idea of the culture of um, the program where you're trying to apply. Um, You can get an idea to talk to the residents or even who will be the incoming chief during the year that you're going to be applying and keep their contact information. Do well, you know, on your CBSC, I think, or if you're doing ortho, I think you have to take the GRE. I don't know if they're still doing that, but try to do well on those exams um, because those are the things that they're looking at. But I think the externships, and building relationships um, with your co residents or future co residents. Um, that's probably the most important. And of course, getting great recommendations. Don't, if you know that this person does not know you very well, don't ask them for a letter of recommendation, okay? Because you want to get a good letter saying that, you know, I know this person, I know that they're capable of doing it. You don't want to get a letter that's saying, you know, hey, Portia James is interested in applying to this residency program uh, and she was a good student, period, (laughs) or something like that. You want a good letter of recommendation saying that this person is vouching for you. They know that you're going to do well. They know that you're going to succeed. But most importantly, they know that you're going to be able to complete the program because no one wants anyone that's going to be in the program and decide after internship that they can't handle it.
0: Thank you. That was a lot of excellent advice. I do really appreciate it. And everything today, I really do appreciate your time. Um, finally, I guess, is there a good way for people to get in touch with you, or where should they follow you if they have any questions? Yeah.
1: Sure. Um, you can find me on, on social media at Dr. Portia. That's D-R-P-O-R-C-H-I-A. Um, And you can go to our website aboutfacesurgery.com or email me at drjames, D-R-J-A-M-E-S at surgery.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a great one. Thank you too. All righty. That is the end of this week's episode of the Dental Download Podcast. Look forward to another episode on Monday as always with a different guest next week. Next week is going to be Dr. Paul Goodman of Dental Nachos. We talk about how he started Dental Nachos and how he manages three dental practices, two little children, and this other business. And I just think he has a lot of great insight. His job through Dental Nachos is talking to dentists, building dentist community, continuing education courses. So he's a really great speaker and he has a lot to share when it comes to insight and wisdom and guidance for dental students specifically, since I know that's most of my audience. So I hope we are all looking forward to that episode next week, and I will talk to you next Monday.